to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So yesterday, Vicky and I had the opportunity to attend a birthday party for a one-year-old, and it really brought back a lot of sweet memories eating the first birthday cake and getting the icing all over the face, uh, the presents, the adult hovering over the child, taking pictures, and the child having no idea whatsoever what's taking place. It, it brought back so many wonderful memories and just how lovely children are. And then we went to the grocery store, and I went off on my own to find something in the cereal aisle. And there was a child about, I don't know, three or four, that wanted, you know, sugar explosion cereal box that probably had a toy in it, Fruit Loops, Apple Jacks, whatever. And the mother said no. And then suddenly those difficult and challenging memories from my children being young came crashing down upon me. And you probably know what happened next and you've probably been through this or you're going through this. It's the stage in childhood that I found the most challenging on some level. And it was this. Why? And the mother looked at the child and said, because it's full of sugar. Why? Well, because sugar makes things taste good. Why? And you could see the rage building within the mother. I, of my two children, one of them did this more often than the other, and he's not sitting in here this morning. And I used to just get so frustrated. And when they continue to ask why over and over and over, what do you eventually say as a parent? And this mother said this on the cereal aisle yesterday. What is it? Yeah, all right, because I said so. And so as I was looking at the text this, this week, and I encountered that yesterday, I had to change the opening illustration because we need to come to this text like the child asking why. Why? The reason children do that is because things are mysterious to them more so than as us as adults. Things are not clear. They want to know. They want to understand. Yes, sometimes they're being difficult. Yes, sometimes they're being challenging. But we come to the text this morning, and the important question that we need to ask is why? Why? So I've told you over the last couple of weeks that we're building up to the culmination of Zechariah. We learned in chapter 9, verse 8, that a new day is coming. Hold on, Israel. Be patient, Jerusalem. A new day is coming where all things will be restored. 
I am going to do something great. I have you in mind. I have a plan for you. You've experienced great difficulty. Just wait. As we know, according to New Testament language, the kingdom of God is coming in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so Zechariah is telling the people of God that new day that you cannot fully see is going to arrive. That a greater king is coming. Chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah prophesies that this king will come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And that's significant because that means a new day has dawned. Change is upon the people of God. Then we learn in chapter 9, verses 16, that the Lord will save His people. He's not forgotten them. He has not betrayed them. He has not turned His back on them. He remembers His people. He remembers the promises that He made to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David. God is the one who is faithful. And He is going to save them. We see in chapter 10, a new and a better covenant. The language that is used in this chapter is pointing to the reality that restoration will be upon all of creation. That there will be wholeness. That there will be change. That there will be flourishing. That there will be peace. That this is what God is going to do. He is going to take to borrow the, an expression from children that we spoke of earlier, the playroom that has been destroyed, and He's going to make it new. He's going to rearrange everything. He's going to put it in its right place, and it will be perfect. This is what the God of Israel has planned. And so when we approach chapter 12, and in particular, when we come to verses 10 through 14, we think about the end of time. And so the text has been building. The text has been talking about the nations rising up in the last day against Israel. And the text has been telling us that there is going to be a final battle that the nations are going to rage against the people of God, that they are going to metaphorically attack Jerusalem. Notice Zechariah chapter 10, verses 5 through 6. Together, they will be like warriors in battle, trampling their enemy into the mud of the streets. They will fight because the Lord is with them, and they will put the enemy horsemen to shame. I will strengthen Judah and save the tribes of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God. I love that language. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. A new and a better covenant, a faithful God, 
a God who remembers His promises, a God in this final them, He is going to restore them. But what is embedded in this is that in the last days, in the coming of the kingdom of God, there is going to be tribulation and sorrow until that final moment. We experience that, as I mentioned several weeks ago, in what theologians call the already, not yet. In Jesus, the kingdom has come, but not fully. One day it will come in its fullness. And so we live in this strange land, and we are on this journey, and we look forward to the final day. We look forward to judgment when we will be found sinless and acceptable and worthy and loved in Christ who is the returning conquering King. So we should not be surprised by what surrounds us in this world. I had somebody say to me not too long ago, I'm so down by all the current events and things are not like they used to be and I I wanted to say to them, things have been like they have always been. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. And we are a rebellious people. And doom and frustration and sadness should not be our language. Because we belong to the conquering king. The hero is our older brother. And so no matter what is raging all around us, know that the battle has been won. And so in Zechariah, we come to this text today. A battle is going to take place. God is going to rescue His people because He loves them. And I want us to walk through this text very carefully because there are some very important things to understand. In essence, all of Zechariah has been building up to this in chapter 13 and 14. So look again at your text at verse 10. Think battle. Think conqueror. Think returning, excuse me, think of the coming king. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. In those last days, in the coming of the kingdom, what is God going to do? He is going to pour out His grace upon His people. Now just stop for a second. And think about how unbelievably amazing that is. God is telling Israel, a people that had rejected Him, that He is going to place His love upon them. He is going to come for them. He's going to rescue them. And He is going to pour out on them a spirit of grace. And God has done that for you and me as well. This outpouring of the Spirit in the last days. The prophets in the latter part of the Old Testament talk about this on a regular basis. You know, you want to know 
you want a sign that the, come, that the kingdom of God is coming, the Spirit will be poured out. The Spirit will be poured out. Divine favor on God's people. And the Lord is saying that when this happens, it will produce heart change. But we live in those latter days. Jesus has come. The kingdom of, has come, although in part. This is what Zechariah was pointing to. This is what he was trying to prepare the people of God at that time for. We live in those days. His Spirit has been poured out. And so the question that you have to ask yourself this morning is, have I experienced heart change? Have I experienced this divine favor poured out through the Holy Spirit? Has God changed you? And is God working in you? Hear what the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul also in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of a glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the good news of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. That we have been transformed and we are being transformed. Trinity, if you love Jesus, lean into this. This belongs to you. New heart, new life, transformation. We still struggle with sin because the final victory that belongs to Jesus is not complete until He returns. But this is who our Savior is and this is what He has done for us. And so you have to ask the question. There's no more important question eternally that you can ask than this, has God's Spirit changed you? Has the outpouring of His Spirit reworked your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus? And if it hasn't, I'd love to talk to you. If it has, if it has, live for Him. Give Him all the glory. Seek Him with all your heart. Knowing that that King on the donkey who fights the great battle has done it just for you. Just for you. Latter part of verse 10. When they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for Him. Now, it was fascinating reading the scholars commentating on this text in Hebrew. It was really interesting to see them time and time again come back to the realization 
that God is saying that you should look on me and that I am the one that you will pierce. That the textual evidence, the Hebrew is saying that God is telling them, yes, I am your God. Yes, I am coming for you. Yes, I am giving you a new and better covenant. But you, for some reason, will pierce me. And the the language there in terms of piercing is ultimate destruction. And so, when I was in the grocery store yesterday and that child kept asking why. Why? I came back to this text and realized that we have to ask the same question over and over and over. Why? Were you pierced for me? Why? Why did it have to go down like this? Why? What's the reason? So many people in our culture can quickly tell you that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But they cannot tell you the deep theological answer of why. Why did that have to happen? Why did that take place? We use an important word in our theological tradition. It's even been mentioned this morning, and that is covenant. That God has made a covenant with His people, and we see it unfolded throughout the Old Testament. I mentioned the names earlier. Adam, and Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and David. And then we have the new and better covenant in Jesus Christ, where He answers... All the, all the covenants prior. And here is a quick explanation as to why. Why was He pierced? It's this. God makes a covenant with His people that He will be their God. And that He is going to give them great blessings if they obey the covenant. If you do this, I will do this. And these blessings will be on what you can possibly understand. It will be shalom. It will be wholeness and restoration and perfection and goodness. Beyond what you can possibly grasp or understand. Fellowship with me like I had with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. All things will be made new. This will come to you through obedience to the covenant. But if you disobey the covenant, you will be punished. You will die. Excuse me, if you disobey the covenant, you will be punished and none of these blessings will come to you. And part of that punishment is eternal separation from me. And as we read the Old Testament, as we understand the narrative, as we see the story unfold, as we come to the book of Zechariah, we are reminded they're terrible, the people of God, at obeying the covenant. So are we. So are we. And so, punishment belongs to all people. No blessing whatsoever. And so God reconciles the problem and the issue in Jesus. Because He becomes a man. 
but yet He's born without sin. And guess who obeys the covenant perfectly? He does. And then on the cross, the punishment that we deserve is given to Him. And I've said this before, and movies are terrible at this. The main thing that's that's transpiring at the cross is not how awful it is in terms of earthly, human, physical punishment. It's not the nails in the hands. It's not the beatings. That's awful. It's terrible. But it's that God is taking His wrath. He's taking our eternal punishment in hell for our sins and our rebellion and our covenant disobedience. And at that very moment, He's placing it, bam, right on Christ. That's what's so awful about the cross. Not the crown of thorns. That. He's experiencing hell for every one of you in a moment for all eternity. He's feeling all of eternity. Hell in one moment for you. And then God resurrects him because... He's been faithful and He's been obedient. He is the one true, perfect Israelite. And here's what God does. He then, the Father, then takes those blessings that Jesus has earned because He obeyed the covenant and He goes, this is for you and this is for you and this is for you. He gives you the faith He pours out the Spirit. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new soul so that you can receive all those blessings from beginning to end. It's God doing this for you. And Zechariah is announcing to the donkey has things in store for you that you cannot possibly grasp. We were reminded of this this morning in our text. Hebrews 12. It says, excuse me, in the text of confession. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel, an outpouring of the Spirit of God at the end of days because of the perfect covenant obedience of His Son, Jesus. Then finally, in verse 11, it says, On that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for Hadad Raman in the plain of Megiddo. Now, just briefly, that is a reference to the death of King Hosea which was a a national event in Israel that was mourned on a daily basis. So what the text is saying, what Zechariah is saying, is that when there is this outpouring of the Spirit in the final days, when the kingdom comes, the people of God will mourn for their sin. They will repent. They will be contrite like a parent who has lost a child like the nation of Israel who mourns the death of a great king. Hear this quote from well-known pastor Charles Swindoll. A godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, 
The first one leads to life, but the latter shoves us into a spiritual grave. Worldly sorrow only bemoans getting caught or weeps for what was lost. It never grieves for the wrong committed. Godly sorrow produces different results. When we experience godly sorrow, we are deeply grieved for the wrong we committed. We desire to ask forgiveness, to repair the damage, to make reparation for the harm done, not merely to protect ourselves from pain or regain what we didn't want to give up. In a word, we repent. The outpouring of the Spirit has come because we live in the final days. Has it produced heart change in you? Has it produced repentance in you for your sins? As believers in Christ, as His followers, as those who love Him deeply, and we understand the transaction of the cross, we understand His perfect covenant obedience, we understand what we've done, what He has done for us, our lives should be earmarked by a continual, ongoing spirit of repentance before His heavenly throne. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, we thank You for the victory that You have fought and that You have earned and belongs to us. Help us to not be troubled in these trying days, but to fix our eyes upon You. May our spirit be repentful, and our hearts full of worship. And Father, if there is anyone here this morning who does not know You, that they would surrender their life to You. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.